Today's episode is dedicated to Adam Walsh and his parents, Revae and John. Adam was born on November 14, 1974. Four months and 13 days before his seventh birthday, Adam was abducted and murdered. Over the past 47 years, Revae and John Walsh have been advocating for missing children. Their unwavering determination to enact change led to the creation of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Since its inception in 1984, NICMIC has helped law enforcement recover over 355,000 missing children. You're listening to True Crime P.I., an investigative podcast that explores unsolved, missing, and unidentified persons cases from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Welcome to True Crime P.I. I'm your host, Dana Pohl. In the United States, there are more than 200,000 unsolved, missing, murdered, and unidentified persons cases. In order for justice to be served, these cases need to be shared. So what are we waiting for? Let's solve a cold case. This episode mentions child abduction, sexual abuse, and sexual exploitation. These words are used in context to describe support services provided by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. In this episode, you will learn about the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the amazing work the center does to support families, law enforcement, and the community. A little history never hurt anyone, so let's take a look at how and why the center was founded. On July 27, 1981, six-year-old Adam Walsh was abducted from a mall in Hollywood, Florida. In the days that followed, a massive search was conducted. On August 10, 1981, two fishermen discovered the partial remains of Adam Walsh, 100 miles away in Vero Beach, Florida. When Adam was abducted and murdered, his parents, Revae and John Walsh, realized that a lack of resources and coordination between law enforcement and other government agencies was seriously hindering missing child investigations. Revae and John joined forces with the parents of children who had gone missing, and together, they began to advocate for change. Eventually, pressure from these families spurred Congress to pass the Missing Children's Assistance Act. On June 13, 1984, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was officially opened. NICMIC is a nonprofit organization primarily funded by the United States Department of Justice. It was established to act as an information clearinghouse for families, law enforcement agencies, schools, and communities to assist in locating missing children and to raise public awareness about child abductions, child sexual abuse, and child exploitation. Today you will meet John Bischoff, Vice President, Missing Children Division, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. As vice president, John oversees all U.S. missing children's cases, both in the states and abroad. He also manages the 1-800-THE-LOST tip line and call centers. John began his career in cybersecurity at America Online. After 13 years at AOL, John accepted a position at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, 
At FEMA, John was responsible for post-disaster family reunification. After a couple of years at FEMA, John took a position at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. If you are interested in learning more about John's credentials, his bio is linked in the show notes. Most of us know that NCMEC creates age progressions and missing children's posters, but there is so much more that we don't know. The work the center does is extensive and impressive, but for some reason it feels like a well-kept secret. In an effort to bring Nick Mick's lesser-known successes to light, I asked John if he would share something about Nick Mick that we probably don't know. We do a lot with the things that we learn as an organization. One of those things, just to give an example, is our work on helping find children who have autism. About 11 years ago, we were seeing our numbers go up of children who went missing who have autism. And more importantly, we were finding the attraction to water and the drowning outcome. So about 80% of the cases that we had where the child was recovered deceased were from drowning. When we really sat back and looked at our data, we said, well, you know, that's horrible. Okay, what do we have to do? First, we have to, we have to learn a lot more about this topic. So we held a roundtable. We worked with National Autism Association, with Autism Speaks. We worked with many different law enforcement agencies around who have specialized programs uh, for children who have autism in their jurisdiction. Montgomery County, uh, Maryland has a great one. Addison, uh, Illinois uh, Police Department have a, a great system, as well as many others. And we took apart that issue. And we built in, not only internal policies, we built external outreach and training. Uh, because if we know about it, we need to make sure law enforcement and the community know about it as well. Using data to track trends, identify problems, consult experts, and craft solutions is what change-making is all about. Nick Mick does this day in and day out in an effort to provide parents, caregivers, and law enforcement with solutions to problems. So for our call center, they have certain procedures. When they hear the word autism, uh, at any point in the call, they quickly go over to a script that talks about the attraction to water. And if they're talking to a family or law enforcement or a caregiver, hey, make sure you're sending some people out to check local bodies of water, swimming pools, lakes, streams, rivers, whatever it is, uh, because there, there may be a, a chance that that child is attracted to water and is seeking out that water, and they might not be able to swim, uh, which, which just creates a very tragic outcome very quickly. From that, We've moved on, and actually, just this past summer, we were uh, two into a three-series launch about uh, searching for children with autism. We did a general one on how to build an uh, autism program for your local police department. Right? We had some great guest speakers in that told us their lessons learned on how to build an autism outreach awareness program for, for kids in your community and for the community as a whole. We held one over the summer for law enforcement specifically on searching for children uh, who are missing, who have autism. Uh, and coming up, we have a, uh, one that's going to be for parents and caregivers. We're also working with, with different organizations on different locative technologies so the parents can be aware when the child either goes outside a certain perimeter or whatever the case is, how to quickly find that child before there is a tragic outcome. So just to give one example, you know, that's how we take our data and, and not only work and understand it internally, we work to make sure that the community is aware of it as well. You can look on missingkids.org. We have an entire section of our website 
that talks about children missing with autism and all different resources, some for parents, some for caregivers, some for law enforcement agencies uh, on how to best protect these kids and, and help if they do go missing. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was established as a clearinghouse for information. As John explained earlier, the center uses data to determine needs and then creates resources to help address those needs. Visit missingkids.org and you will find a treasure trove of educational materials, including age-appropriate activities and videos that help parents teach children about abduction and online risks. You can also find reports on child sex trafficking, online enticement, and sextortion, as well as guides for law enforcement, checklists for families, and so much more. The National Center creates these amazing resources and provides valuable training for law enforcement, parents, caregivers, and community members. These trainings and webinars are available on NCMEC Connect at www.missingkids.org. Another lesser-known service that the center provides is Family Advocacy. The Family Advocacy Division is a specialized team of highly trained child and family advocates who provide emotional support to families with missing or exploited children. So we have a um, uh, a division of, of folks here at the National Center, uh, our Family Advocacy Division. As anyone would imagine, when a parent is missing a child, they're going through an extremely rough time. Uh, and they, the family needs some support. Uh, and that's where our Family Advocacy Division comes into play. Now, they have contacts across the U.S., whether we need to link that family up with local support or even them just talking to the, to the family just to try and work through uh, dealing with this. We also have a group off of our Family Advocacy Division called Team Hope. Uh, and Team Hope is a group of volunteers, probably about 150 to 200 at this point, who are parents who either had or currently have a missing child case. If it's helpful to the family, we'll link them up with one of the, the Team Hope representatives who will work with the family, just kind of talk through the emotions uh, and kind of be that support arm from a peer standpoint. You're, you're dealing with parents who've been there or are there going through this type of trauma and how can they help uh, a parent who's been missing their child for either a couple of days or a couple of weeks and, and kind of working through that emotional roller coaster. While the advocacy division is working to support families, a dedicated group of forensic artists and anthropologists are helping to support law enforcement. In 2020, this team reconstructed the faces of 49 unidentified deceased children. The forensic artists, they, they absolutely amaze me with the work that they do. Uh, and in, honestly, in short order time, uh, it, you know, it takes maybe a day, day and a half to do a, a skull recreation. Back in the day, uh, it was very hard to get a, a copy of a skull uh, to even do a clay mold over it. Nowadays, the coroner medical examiner's office can do it or have, or have the human remains transferred to a hospital to take a high-risk CT scan. They can send us a data file we pull into our system, and our forensic artists work right in a computer environment with haptic technology. Uh, we work with uh, Parabon Technologies to even figure out, can we even get a hair color off the DNA sample? Can we get a skin color off the DNA sample to incorporate that uh, into our imagery? We work with forensic anthropologists 
you know, I think we're up to like six or seven that we work with steadily across the U.S. that really help us and help our artists produce the best image that we possibly can put into the public's eyes. On September 30th, 2018, Biometrica published an in-depth blog post entitled, For Nick Mix Forensic Artists, Every Face Tells a Story, Every Child Has a Name. This post really sparked my interest in how age progressions are made, and so I asked John if he could shed some light on the process. If we have a, a picture of a missing child uh, and we're, we need to advance that picture two years or five years, uh, you know, where are we getting the samples, right? You're taking family reference samples and our forensic artists pull that image together. I mean, I'm sure growing up, right, you, you may have had family members looking and be like, oh, goodness, you, you know, you've got your mom's smile. You know what? You've got your dad's eyes, but you've got your mom's smile. So much of that comes into age progression today because that's what our artists are looking at as well. Okay, well, at the age of 20, what was mom's smile looking like? And let's incorporate some of those characteristics because I can see from the image of the missing child, yeah, they probably do have mom's smile. So let's advance that uh, and and pull that in. So a great deal of, um, you know, it's a it's a probably a 50-50 split between artistic ability and scientific ability. Nick Mix forensic artists update age progressions every two years up to the age of 18. After that, the images are updated every five years. It must be terribly difficult and bittersweet for a parent to watch their child grow up in aged-progressed images. According to the National Crime Information Center, 420,000 children go missing each year. That's one child every 90 seconds. Fortunately, the majority of these children return home safely. The National Center is not called upon to support all of these cases. In 2020, NICMIC was asked to support 29,782 cases. This included 27,072 endangered runaways, 1,396 family abductions, 239 lost, injured, or otherwise missing, 996 missing young adults, and 79 non-family abductions. With Nick Mick's help, 92% of these cases were resolved. So my question is, how does the National Center get involved in a case? Now, we become involved in these missing child cases through a couple of different routes. Normally, it's either the parent, legal guardian, or law enforcement who reach out to us seeking our service. Now, at times, we hear about a case, we read about it in the news, we hear about it through, through a couple of different channels, And we'll proactively reach out to the law enforcement agency to see if any of our resources will be valuable to them to utilize on this missing child case. A lot of these law enforcement officers are pouring their heart and soul into these cases. You know, at times, they really need that toolbox that we bring to the table. If law enforcement has a piece of evidence, they don't know how to get tested. We have connections all over the place, as well as with, you know, labs like the Secret Service Lab or different state labs who might have the technology Uh, to assist with that missing child case. When a child goes missing, most of us immediately think of a stranger or non-family abduction. But according to John, a growing number of missing children are abducted by family members. Probably in upwards of 2,800 to 3,000 times a year are reported family abductions. 
Uh, and family abductions throw a lot of people a curveball because a lot of people think they're with a parent, so they must be okay. And that's absolutely not always the case. We send out Amber Alerts, secondary distribution, to assist states with getting those messages out, and we help with the Amber Alert report every year. And over 60% of the Amber Alerts are family abductions. Over 60% of the time, an abducting parent has the intent of harming that child. That's what reaches the level of an Amber Alert, right? That's one of the criteria, uh, is that the child could be seriously harmed or murdered. Uh, and if you take a look at those Amber Alert numbers, some are domestic, uh, some go international, uh, adds another layer of complexity when we have start having to work with uh, uh, the Department of State, other countries, the Hague, uh, the you know international court system to try and get those children returned home safely. In 2020, NCMEC assisted law enforcement and families with nearly 30,000 missing children cases. 91% of these cases were endangered runaways. November is National Runaway Prevention Month. Listen while John explains why NCMEC is urging us to remember that runaways are missing children too. An area that, uh, you know, gives people some pause is the endangered runaway. At times they think that child ran away. That child must just not want to be home. It must be a bad environment or it must be a bad child. You know, these children, although they, they may have left uh, under their own power, they face a lot of threats being out on the street, uh, a lot of endangerments, whether it be uh, human trafficking, child sex trafficking, gang violence, uh, a variety of different things that they're, they're faced with. Also, what made them leave the, the residence? Were they enticed online? Uh, online enticement is something we're seeing a lot of these days where adults are communicating with children online and talking them into, you know, meeting them somewhere. And, and is that what happened, right? So endangered runaway, although it may be a case category, there's many facets that tie into it that say, you know what, we might not be dealing with what we think we're initially dealing with. It has to be constantly reevaluated as new information comes to light. Are we still dealing with a, an endangered runaway or is it something else? NCMEC's data shows that one in six missing children's cases involve child sex trafficking. The center is focused on identifying these cases and providing children and families with the resources they need to heal. A lot of people think, well, you know, I live in a, a nice community. Of course you do. Absolutely. Uh, it can't happen here. Not in my backyard. Trust me, it does. We're seeing it in cases all across the United States. Uh, it's something we're focused on with, with every one of our missing child cases uh, is asking the questions, is, are there any signs of child sex trafficking? If there was, we want to make sure that child's getting the right resources. The hardest part with uh, any type of human trafficking case, it's not like you find the child and they right away say, oh, thank goodness you found me. I've been trafficked. You know, the trauma that they've gone through, it does take time to come out. Sometimes there's, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen, and the right resources need to be in place locally to ensure that that's occurring, that that child's being taken care of even beyond the recovery. At the National Center, within the past year, year and a half, we actually started a, a team uh, who really focused on child sex trafficking from a, you know, from a now what standpoint, what resources are available across the United States, uh, whether they be available in one county, but the next county next door might not know that those services are over there. Do we know about them? Can we pass along 
that information to the law enforcement officer or to the social service worker or to the family to close the gap. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is leading our nation's fight against child abduction, child abuse, and child exploitation. But they can't do it alone. You can support NCMEC by making a donation, sharing a missing child's poster on social media, calling in a tip, or becoming a volunteer. Missing children at times are often missing in plain sight. Uh, And that's why it's so important to be aware. Look at our posters. Share our posters on your social media feed. Uh, These children still have families, and they still need help from the public. So keep sharing those photos. Keep sharing those stories. Don't give up on, on the child just because days, weeks, or even months go by. There's always hope that we'll find the missing child and help get them home safely. And anyone with information about a missing child, such as leads or location or, or possible sightings, they can report that information directly to law enforcement, or they can report it to, to us here at the National Center uh, for Missing Exploited Children at our 1-800-LOSS number. We'll take down the information make sure it gets in the right hands. As a, as a nonprofit organization, uh, some of our funding is from the federal government. A lot of our funding is, is raised through private sector donations. So, you know, from a national center standpoint, we, we absolutely do take uh, donations. From a volunteering standpoint, we have a lot of people come to us seeking volunteer opportunities. Uh, and I know we are in the process of trying to figure out how to best manage volunteers to help us get the word out and engage with the community. So we're still doing some work there on the, the volunteer support front, but, uh, but keep an eye on that for, from our, through our website uh, as to different opportunities that may come up. As we were finishing up the interview, John asked me if he could dispel a myth. There's no waiting period on reporting a missing child. As soon as a parent realizes uh, that their child is not where they're supposed to be, their first call should be to the local law enforcement, right? They're going to be the boots on the ground. They're going to be the ones who show up first and take down the information. And even if, you know, God willing, the child comes walking around the corner of the building 15 minutes later, great, right? But you had the resources there. We started leaning forward, and that's where it needs to be. Uh, But unfortunately, if that doesn't happen, you already have law enforcement involved. Uh, right as soon as you're done with law enforcement, the next call should be to us at the National Center because we're going to take the information down. We'll reach out also to that law enforcement agency and see what we can do to help promote their investigation. Can we get a poster out there? Uh, and not just a local poster. Can we push that poster you know, countywide, statewide? Does it have to go nationwide? What circumstances are we looking at here? How far does that poster need to go? Because... Uh, Uh, will work to make that happen. I would like to thank John Bischoff for joining us today. The information he shared is invaluable and has helped to shed light on the scope of work that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has been doing since 1984. NCMEC's commitment to protecting the well-being of children is the thread that binds the many services they provide. At the National Center, we'll never forget about a missing child, no matter how much time has passed. It it involves children, uh, missing, exploited, prevention, protection, whatever the case is. If if it's something that crosses our line, we're in it and we're going to win it. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, like our True Crime PI Facebook page, and join our Facebook group to discuss the case featured in each episode. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. Ratings and reviews attract listeners and ultimately result in more exposure for these cases. Visit my website at truecrimepi.com to suggest a case. And if you're feeling generous, click on the Buy Me a Coffee link to support this podcast. Thank you for listening. True Crime PI is written and edited by Dana Pohl. Theme music, CD Streets, and Come Out and Play, written and performed by the very talented Darren Curtis at darrencurtismusic.com.